Hello everyone, and welcome to Queer Beats to Overanalyze and Get Anxious To. This is a bi-weekly music podcast that focuses on artists that aren't heterosexual and or cisgender. I'm your queer host, Ben Wayne, and I use he, they pronouns. Now, let's talk some tunes. We're back to the States with this next artist, Team Dresh, a queercore punk band that originated in Washington. The name comes from the last name of founding member Donna Dresch, who was already involved in the Riot Girl and queercore movements, contributing to zines and publishing one of her own. The idea came in 1993 when Donna and soon-to-be bandmate Jody Blail, I believe is pronounced, wanted to form a, quote, all-dyke band. Since then, band member Marceo Martinez has come out as transmasculine and uses he-him pronouns, while the other band members use she-her pronouns. If you're not terribly familiar with what queer core is, no worries. Like most other cultural and social movements, there is a ton of nuance and study to be had, but I will do my best to summarize it in the most general sense. Queercore is a movement that seems to have began in the mid-80s and is often seen as an offshoot or evolution of punk culture while also incorporating DIY-style approaches to media and art, such as music. Usually the difference between queercore and punk is the lyrical and thematic focus on, get this, queer things, such as sexual identity, gender identity, and how that fits within the confines of a strictly enforced heteronormative world. I've touched on a few bands within this genre before in the past, so if you're interested in more of that kind of stuff, check out my Pansy Division or La Tigra episodes if you want to hear more about Queercore and Riot Girl. Team Dresch was active from 1993 to 1998, originally before disbanding for a number of years. They reformed in 2004 and seem to still be together, releasing new music as recently as 2020 everyone's favorite year. So far, they've only released two albums, 1995's Personal Best and 1996's Captain My Captain. In this episode, we will be looking at tracks from the latter. The debut album's title actually is a reference to the 1982 drama film Personal Best. Now, this may surprise you, but the film is about lesbians. In this case, lesbian track and field athletes whose relationship could ruin their prospective careers. Sad that this can still be applicable today with many athletes in professional sports. I digress. As with a lot of punk and insert genre core music, this album is a brisk and blistering 25 minutes of succinct rage. If you like punk, especially 90s styles punk, in this case with a queer edge, you should check this album out. I think the vocals in a lot of the songs give strong Deftones vibes, in the sense that they go from intimate and soft directly into impassioned screaming and guttural rage. I can understand why that may be a turnoff for some, but I think the screaming here isn't constant and it more so it's another tool at their disposal to convey a strong emotion. The sound quality itself has a 90s feel to it, almost like that's when it was recorded. It adds a fuzzy, crunchy texture throughout the 10 tracks that gives it a pseudo-grungy feel. And check this album out if you're looking for new queercore music and or want to hear some of the early adopters of the movement. Now from this album, we are going to look at Hate the Christian Right, Free Wheel, Fake Fight, and Growing Up in Springfield. The not-so-subtle Hate the Christian Right takes aims at the, well, Christian Right. As I stated earlier, I think this song in particular feels the most Deftones-like. The verses are scream-sung, while the chorus is more traditionally sung. My interpretation of the song is their frustrations and critiques of the so-called Christians that use love and caring as a shield to avoid accountability when they try to persecute the queer community. It's because we care so much, or I want to make sure they can get into heaven, or even we need to maintain traditional family values, which is straight white says people. 
None of it is genuine, and it's never done in the best interest of the people they're actively trying to crush. I know I've heard in the past from those types of people that some of their excuses are, I love gay people, but I just don't think they should get married. When marriage equality was an issue, which it may be again, because America's awesome, or the entire bullshit argument that we somehow ruin children by existing? I think this is reinforced with the lyrics, you never wanted to care, you kill, you kill, you kill. Again, using the rhetoric that it's done out of caring and love for us sinners, when that's a surface level motive to obscure the insidious nature of them wanting to get rid of us, either through legitimate murder, Matthew Shepard, or in ways that the American government constantly undermines the rights of non-heteronormative people. This also resonates with me because more often than not, these types of people hold the facade of caring and wanting what's best for everyone, when in reality, it's strictly about maintaining the status quo. Because of that, it's a lot easier to see the queer community as a monolith. Fun fact, we're not, and it takes much more time, effort, and self-reflection along with humility to humanize us and to empathize with us, and that, I will say, is paramount for any understanding of any one who doesn't share the same qualities as you. It requires a lot of work. And oftentimes, like especially with homophobia, internalized racism, transphobia, oftentimes it's kind of a lifelong thing. And some people just don't want to put in the work because that, that requires too much effort. They just want an easy, clear-cut answer. Okay, all the queers are bad because X, Y, and Z, cool, done. Don't have to do any more thinking about it. And because the vocalist is screaming these lyrics, it's hard not to feel the frustration of constantly being invalidated, having their existence questioned, having their rights constantly revoked, and their lives being in jeopardy just for being themselves. Like I said about Queercore earlier, it's angry and it's succinct. As an almost counter to my point about queer rage, the next song, Free Will, is more upbeat and lighthearted. The musicality feels very bouncy and has a very 90s vibe to it. Yes, I know that's when it was recorded, but just the way the drums and guitars sound along with the vocal harmonies, it feels very much like it would be in an indie film that was made in that era. To me, this song seems to be about the vocalist going off on their own and establishing their own identity. Well, I do what I do and I don't need you to tell me what's in and tell me who is cool. These lyrics seem to strengthen my case of the vocalist forming their own identity. I get the vibe that this may be after a breakup? The narrator may have had a previous partner that may have had a domineering personality and or was judgmental of the things that they did or enjoyed. Perhaps they were even codependent. This person's saying they don't need the other, they could be regaining their sense of self or taking the power back from this relationship. But this could also be the narrator talking to themselves as they seem to keep finding the same type of person. As seen in the lyrics, she's just the same girl over and over and over. Until you're aware of it, some people try to reenact the same dynamics that happened to them in the past, whether it's familial or previous relationships, in some way trying to quote-unquote fix it this time, but you continue to perpetuate that cycle. So consciously or subconsciously, they're seeking out a strong personality, but then resenting it or somehow trying to recreate a dynamic from a previous relationship, like I said, with the hopes that this will somehow be different. There is also notes that the song is titled after a cat that one of the band members used to live with, so this entire thing could just as easily be about a cat. That's the beauty of art, though. Different meanings to different people. The third track, Fake Fight, seems to have several ideas all intertwined, at least in my interpretation. I see the first part of the song being about the narrator wanting to leave their town, which I can't help but immediately think of those compilation videos on YouTube of millions of different pop punk bands all saying let's leave this town or they hate this town. Anyways, 
I think that the town is oppressive to them because the first lyrics are, I cry out in the darkness forever to be free, and I cry out so my loneliness won't get the best of me. Now, I'm not from a smaller, super conservative town, so I'm no expert, but to me this seems like they're the only queer, or at least only queer they know of in this town. I know some argue that we choose to be different to feel special and unique, but having zero community, especially in the 90s before a community could be found digitally, that's really fucking isolating and it doesn't feel good. The second half of this verse has her singing, I can see a brave tomorrow when I might just leave this town after all these days and nights of anxious sadness leave me tired and doubting. Doubles down on how hurtful living in this town has been for her psyche. And again, with no community, it can cause a lot of internal doubt about oneself such as, am I really gay, lesbian, queer, trans, ace, aromantic? Am I enough to be under that umbrella? Not to sound like a boomer because I know it's still really difficult, but before the internet, if you didn't know these people from face-to-face -face interactions, there was virtually no information to be gleaned and no camaraderie. There are two more lyrics I want to highlight for separate reasons. The first being, we found it on our bikes and had fake fights until dark. They're talking about a tree fort they found, and I think this could be about the innocence of finding a cool place and playing with your friends, like fake fights, especially trying to escape these doubts and feelings of being in this town and feeling isolated. But also, my goofy brain is thinking, hmm. Isn't that found in comedies when people are caught having sex by saying they were just wrestling or fighting? I don't know. Maybe I'm just a gross person, but clearly I felt it important enough to highlight. Next, the final lyrics in the song are so goddamn poignant and I needed to bring them up. The song closes with counting on the difference between underground justice and handmade luck. That's a lot in a small amount of words. Gotta love punk. The underground justice I read as being what queers may do and may have to do to protect themselves, especially given the above-board laws and regulations that, to this day, target marginalized people and queers. And I don't, I don't think underground justice has to mean just violence or anything like that, but it could just be making other people accountable or just protecting each other and keeping good word of mouth of, oh, avoid these people, or you should be able to go here and feel safe, that kind of thing. As for the handmade luck part, I think it's about putting as many safeguards in place for a variety of reasons to deal with whatever happens along the way. So maybe the narrator has found community given them being able to potentially find justice and create luck for themselves. Finally, we come to our last song choice, Growing Up in Springfield. As the title entails, this covers a few of the narrator's teenage years and their struggles with sexual identity. The music complements it with this aggressive, somewhat messy buzzing and assault on the ears that only lets up momentarily before diving right back in. The song chronicles their life from ages 14 to 16, and they say near the end of the song, those were the worst years of my life. Again, the isolation of being queer in a small or repressed town. Also, just in general, I, I don't know many people that thought their teenage years were the best years of their lives. It's a little strange if it is, but who knows? So she sings that she fell in love with another girl, a religious girl, with she told me I needed God, I told her I just needed her, and it doesn't end well, which I will get to. It seems like she needed to find outlets for her repression because later on she talks about starting fires and driving around aimlessly. Once again, I feel like I'm just, pun intended, a broken record of just severe isolation and constant judgment does not do well for a person's mental health. Now what's interesting is in the lyrics, I couldn't stop to see the others, the ones like me. 
which could either be her being so wrapped up in her own world that she wasn't seeing other queers nearby, maybe even in the same town, or maybe that at the time she didn't know she would eventually find a community of people like her later on. Considering when this was recorded, I believe they were in their 20s, so they were making zines, they were involved in the queer core movement, which had it's very DIY, very focused on community, but I also don't fault her for being wrapped up in her own world of issues. Though, I mean, take a look at the lyrics. You said to me, you have a demon possession, and later she said she couldn't be my friend. I'm assuming that she is the same as earlier. Perhaps they had a close relationship and the narrator didn't immediately share their feelings for this other girl for fear of rejection. And when she did, and or when the other girl found out, not only was she re rejected, but religion was used as a basis for her rejection, and it was used to quote-unquote prove that she didn't deserve love or, or, or companionship, and that she was possessed by a demon because a quote-unquote good person wouldn't do this. But it's not anything new, unfortunately. I think I've said this before on the podcast, but I came out to a friend in high school, and he told me he didn't want to be friends with me anymore. He didn't use religion, though, so at least... I got that going for me. The last few lines of the song denote to me the narrator abandoning her old life and striking off to someplace new and embracing her identity, not what other people want her to be, but her own. As sung, so I flaunt in my hatred of the flag, my mother cried when I shaved my head. Now, the little info I know about hair and the way it plays into culture and society is actually pretty interesting, and it can inform a lot about what the hair may symbolize for those people. In this instance, my reading is that her hair was a strong sign of femininity, as at least here in the West, women traditionally have long hair and men have short hair. What's kind of cool is that's being flipped a lot and challenged more as time goes on. So this could literally and figuratively be them cutting off their previous attachments to an identity that didn't serve her and it wasn't truthful to how she felt. I know there is a lot of emotion and meaning to hair across many cultures. In this case, maybe the mother sees it as losing a part of her daughter of, oh, you're fully abandoning us. Or it could be weird parental ownership complex and denial of her daughter being an autonomous human being. Regardless, this short song takes a look at what I would assume a semi or fully autobiographical account of the otter's rough years of discovery as a confused teen in a town that didn't or wouldn't understand her. But now it's time for me to wrap it up. Thank you so much for listening, and please feel free to reach out with your own interpretations, opinions, or recommendations. You can find me on Instagram at Queer Beats Podcast. I'm the most active on that, and I pick a song each week to highlight if you don't have time for a whole album. You can also send me an email to queerbeatspodcast at gmail.com. Remember to breathe, drink some water, and remind yourself how wonderful you are. I'll catch you next time. Take care.